0: Hello, everybody. and Welcome to another episode of the Roadie on the Horn podcast. This is episode 173. My name, as always, is Donovan. I'm here with my co-host, RK Ryan. Ryan, you're spotting, uh, let me see, you're not going to see this on video, but this guy's got the best hat, the Chicago Bulls logo hat after last week's discussion of all time, maybe. RK, how's it going? Loving the hat today, really.
1: Yeah, you know, got a got a shout out NBA season. It has arrived. Uh, I'm not expecting the Chicago Bulls to have a great season, but nevertheless, got the hat on feeling feeling good. Watched uh, watched some good games actually on uh, on opening night uh, for uh, for the NBA. Uh, I mean, it'll be our last podcast of October here, Donnie. So uh, we got to enjoy it. Well, we kind of have this crossover now of everything going on in the world of sports. So I'm doing great. Rocking the Bulls cap. And uh, fire it up for for another Roadie on the Horn podcast.
0: Absolutely. You were talking about uh, the NBA. You said it yourself. You know, this is the the final week or two um, with everything going on. Obviously, um, we'll just get right into it. The World Series is scheduled to start on Friday of this week, October 27th. We are currently recording Wednesday, October 25th. This will probably be out Wednesday, October 25th, so not bad. But we do have a World Series matchup after what ended up being a really strong eventful seven game series on both sides the AL and NL. I initially wouldn't have anticipated the Diamondbacks pushing this one to seven um just thinking about how their season went you know the Phillies were kind of hot they just knocked off the best team in baseball um that didn't happen but I want to start off actually in the AL with the Rangers and the Astros because I think both you and I coming into this one we were kind of anticipating this to be the, the star series the um the light of the AL or the, the championship series, the ALCS was very clearly the better matchup coming in. Uh, and we had an incredible, incredible matchup. Um, it ended up being really, really eventful. And, and some, I don't even know what you call it, but there were definitely some high tensions. Tensions were rising very, very seriously uh, throughout this series. Uh, game five. We saw Adoles Garcia get hit by a pitch um, and and all hell broke loose suspensions. They thought it was intentional, ended up turning around in game six and game seven in in Houston, uh, down three to the Rangers. Adoles Garcia pretty much took over the series. I don't know if I've necessarily ever seen a player put together a better two game sample size in a playoff uh, playoff period than we, what we saw out of Adoles Garcia, obviously after being hit by a pitch in game five in the eighth inning, uh, game six and seven, he put up four home runs and nine RBIs, including three different shots, which is just, um, ridiculous to have in one game, three home runs in one game in game seven, um, in Texas's trouncing of the Houston Astros, nine, two, and then 11, four and six and seven Adoles Garcia is the ALCS MVP. And, And one more thing before I get your thoughts here, RK, no home team. Won a game throughout the entire series in a 2-3-2 setup, which is, you would anticipate the team with three games in a row would win at least one of those games every single time without a doubt, would you not? Like, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I was absolutely thinking once the Astros won that dramatic game five, you mentioned the Adolis Garcia hit by pitch, which uh, ended up, you know, lighting a fire under Adolis Garcia, but it's easy to forget, you know, the Astros won that game in dramatic fashion with Jose Altuve, setting themselves, you know, one game away from the world series with two games back at Minute Maid Park, you know, a situation you figure that a team like the Astros with their veteran group uh, you know would be able to get done but uh, it was just a tremendous performance uh, from Adolis Garcia who at the moment sits one RBI away from the all-time postseason record uh, for RBIs in a single postseason which is held by 2011 David Freeze who declined a St. Louis Cardinals uh, Hall of Fame induction but that's another story we got the uh, ALCS I mean some good pitching as well for the Rangers I think uh, we would have to acknowledge uh, Jordan Montgomery he pitched really well uh, in this series as did Nathan Evaldi uh, for the Texas Rangers but it uh, has to be- Adolis Garcia uh, stealing the show. Um, and uh, without a doubt, the, the supporting cast of Texas, that lineup's got some depth. We know about Seager and Semyon, but Evan Carter as well, Josh Young, you know, some younger players uh, really kind of came through for Texas that uh, in a series where it seemed like, you know, all hope may be lost uh, in that dramatic game five uh, with with the 10 players flaring, the benches clearing, Dusty Baker not wanting to leave the dugout, uh, which is still just so funny to me, but uh, it is the Texas Rangers moving on uh, and getting back to the world. World Series, a spot they were in a a couple times last decade, uh, but uh, hopefully, um, you know, this year looking to capture what would be their first uh, World Series championship. Yeah, definitely an
0: interesting just how this all played out. And I do think it is definitely something to consider um, on the pitching standpoint that you brought up with like Evaldi and Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery came out in game seven after two days rest, pitching two days prior, and threw two and a third innings of pretty much immaculate ball, no runs allowed, didn't walk anybody. That is I don't know. I, it happens all the time, but I still think RK and I think you'll agree it is so impressive when these guys come out there on no rest. They skip their bullpen for the day to be ready for the game seven to pitch. Uh, comes out after. what I think a lot of people would have anticipated that being a very very scary reality. You know, if Scherzer really struggles to start off the game, you're thinking, oh, this could be a really rough one. As it it, it you know you would anticipate. You know, your starting pitcher comes out and pitches like, pardon pardon my French, like shit you're thinking, okay, this is going to be rough, but then you have Jordan Montgomery come out and completely tame, tame everything down uh, about Houston's offense. I just want to, before we move on, I'm going to give real props to Jordan Montgomery because he has went from an afterthought, uh, somebody who people weren't really considering as a major impact player to being the most impact player outside of Adolis Garcia, maybe in this entire series. You know, you get three games of a very, very strong pitching. Like, man, it's it's super impressive to see these guys Every year, year in, year out, somebody takes two days rest, goes out on the mound and pitches an absolute gem or or does whatever they need to do in game seven. I just think it's so damn impressive to see what modern pitchers can do compared to like, I don't know, back in the day, obviously, you knew guys were pitching five or six times at a series if they were going to whatever, like they were going to pitch every game because they had rubber arms. But in today's MLB, getting three games out of a pitcher in in a eight eight or nine day series span is like crazy impressive, is it not?
1: yeah it, it really is and the, I mean the Astros lineup is loaded uh you, you said it uh you know may have been uh you know kind of underwhelming postseasons for guys like Kyle Tucker or Jeremy Pena but you still have some dominant guys at the top I mean Jordan Alvarez was just raking everybody he was almost matching left-handed pitching uh as, as good as he is right-handed pitching like it was unbelievable um what he was putting on display uh and you know we hate to say it we hate the Astros always being in the spot year after year but gosh they make for some fun baseball too at the same time like you maybe rooting hard against them. But, um, you know, it's just the fact they're so good, so respected um, that, you know, for a team uh, in their own state, in their own division to knock them off in dramatic fashion as they did, you know, a dominant game seven win. I think we were definitely thinking that one was going to be tight um, given how the series had unfolded so far, but um, really a, a start to close dominant game. And you said it, at Garcia without a doubt, the star of the show.
0: Yeah, we'll be very exciting to see the Rangers in the World Series. I definitely think that that was like an America's team type deal, like 85 or 90% of MLB fans were rooting for the Rangers, if not more than that. I think 90% might even be a little bit light considering uh, just the the overall hatred that people have for the Astros. But we had another great series in the NL too, uh, maybe overshadowed a little bit by the Rangers' dominance in 6-7. and But we did have the Phillies. uh, After we podcasted last week... uh, They were up 2 0. We were thinking, okay, like, you know, kind of what you expect. Maybe Arizona runs out of gas a little bit here. Uh, Arizona wins two at home, loses game five which I would have told you, and I think both you and I would have said, you know, you lose Game 5, two games in Philly in 6 and 7, the crowd is raucous, every the environment was absolutely insane, uh, even with a, a poor performance on the Phillies. I would have anticipated for sure the Phillies would win at least one, they would win one of the two, uh, 6 and 7 at home, to go to the World Series after just how dominant they had been. Not the case, RK. We actually have a wonderful, wonderful uh, pitching performance out of Merrill Kelly in Game 6 really out Aaron Nola, which I think most people would have said, yeah, like, Aaron Nola guaranteed to come out there and throw a gem because he had done that the entire playoffs, and he is a historically good playoff pitcher, and then game seven, you come back around with Ranger Suarez, who had the best ERA in postseason history through 30, 30 innings pitched. Now, kind of sort of pitched well. I would say you pitch fine enough. You get three runs in five innings. You're like, okay, but Brandon Fatt, once again, RK, Comes out, steals the show, seven Ks in four innings. The rest of the bullpen gives up one hit the last five innings of the game. The Phillies get on base three times, two walks, obviously, but uh, one hit in the last five innings. The Diamondbacks somehow managed to, to close this one out. Paul Sewald obviously comes in uh, at the end of the game and closes it after Kevin Ginkle through two innings of, of nearly perfect ball uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So let me tell you, R.K., I'm not necessarily happy about it being the case because I would have really anticipated a Rangers-Phillies World Series would have been magic. It would have been fantastic for me. But uh, Rangers-Diamondbacks, not that bad, I guess, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a huge surprise. You said it. I mean, I remember our postseason preview us kind of forecasting the national league saying, okay, yeah, we know we've got these two top dogs in the Braves and the Dodgers. Um, But last year, obviously we, there was, you know, the surprising, uh, you know, NLCS with the Phillies and the Padres. And we were kind of seeing, are there, you know, a surprise teams? And we looked at the diamondbacks and the Marlins and we're like, we don't really think these teams could do it, but if there is a surprise team, it's going to be one of this group. And it turns out it's the Arizona diamondbacks. And even though there were definitely games where, they gave up their fair share of bomb home runs and it just felt like wow this team is just hanging on by a thread they're able to get two wins on the road at citizens bank park so much was made early in the series about how you know it's so hard to win uh at citizens bank park and really the phillies pitching is really good too uh with uh their one two three of wheeler nola and suarez and they were all you know pretty good in the postseason too but like you said it just outdueled a little bit in the end got to give a lot of credit to Cattell, Marte, uh and corbin carroll near the top of that d-backs lineup um big time stepped up Uh, I think Marte especially had some really clutch hits um, that you know turned the tide uh, towards the Diamondbacks uh, heading into the World Series Um, but I mean if you had told me that Zach Gallon, the ace pitcher for the Diamondbacks would have an ERA over five in four postseason starts I would say there's no way in hell the Diamondbacks are still playing into late October and in the World Series and yet here we are that just continues to show how unpredictable the baseball playoffs are it's part of what makes it a lot of fun to follow and um, you know some fresh blood you you know, for so long, it was easy to make fun of baseball is like all oh, the top market teams you spend the most. You're going to win the World Series, uh, you know, in years where, say, the Dodgers or the Red Sox, um, you know, were champions. It was easy to kind of point uh, at that in terms of the overall MLB uh, landscape. But certainly this is a good year where, um, you know, the Diamondbacks are a good example of a team that was just able to kind of get it done against all the odds uh, and find ways to win ballgames.
0: Yeah, and I'm not saying necessarily that I'm super excited about this being the reality because uh, of the fact that Dynamax were an 84-win regular season team. It kind of takes away from the whole uh, vibe of the regular season. But I did want to mention, you brought up Ketel Marte uh, being uh, electric. He hasn't had a game yet this postseason without a hit. He's been on base at least once in every single game uh, multiple times, and more than half of those games, like. Even when you're not hitting the bombs, it's very impressive to have that as a reality on your team. Uh, Have a guy that is so consistently not only getting on base, but making things happen, whether he's stealing bases or or just a good base runner in general. Uh, Very impressive uh, just to speak about uh, at that point. But as mentioned before, Rangers-Diamondbacks World Series matchup. The Rangers open up as minus 170 favorites to win the World Series. Not necessarily like a crazy odd shift either way i don't think that there was ever going to be a crazy odd shift in the world series you make it this far uh but i would say minus 170 like pretty pretty hefty uh considering the fact that the diamondbacks have played nearly as good if not as good ball as the rangers have all all playoffs like if you were making a prediction here uh i think rangers in six would be the the most likely outcome in terms of at least betting odds would tell you that but I, at this, I'm not counting out the Diamondbacks. Honestly, like betting on the Diamondbacks plus one and forty-five. If you're a, if you're a betting fan, like might not be. It might be the move. Honestly.
1: Yeah. And again, I I keep tying, you know, this postseason into what we saw last year, just because of the unpredictability factor. And, you know, a year ago, we had a surprise NL pennant team with the Phillies and they were going up against the powerhouse Astros. It kind of just felt like, okay, you know, maybe this is kind of the end of your run. We mentioned team of destiny a little bit with the Phillies last year, but I don't feel like that's as much of a parallel this year. Now, I do think if the Astros had won game seven, they would be even bigger favorites against the Diamondbacks uh, in this world series. So maybe that makes for a little bit more intrigue with the Rangers being the team, as mentioned, you know, having never won a world series in their team history before uh, but nevertheless you know picking this series straight up uh you know i gotta go with the texas rangers uh getting it done uh, when it's all said and done i think six games is pretty fair but um yeah i mean hey i've been counting out the d-backs this whole time big time and uh and they've been getting it done so um they'll have to uh they'll have to find a way um against the rangers if they want to you know cap off this remarkable run uh, that they've had here in october
0: yeah, we'll be very exciting to watch. Uh, we will actually be able to record kind of as the World Series goes on. Our podcasting schedule is going to be a, a nearly immaculate. I think we'll be recording after game four. So we should have a decent idea as to what's happening in the World Series there. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, baseball has been really, really good. October, obviously, uh, as you mentioned before, we've got all the major sports going on right now. Baseball will be done in about a week, week and a half. But we're still we're really enjoying it as it is. And I mean, RK... It's not just a baseball week. We've got football. We've got basketball that started, hockey. But I think the most important thing that we got to talk about, the Eagles and the Giants both won in the same week at the same time. Things were not at the same time, but on the same day. It was a really, really good week for both of us, obviously, in uh, our our football fandom. We'll start off with your... Eagles because it was very clearly the more exciting and more um, electric of the games obviously you were in attendance for this game so that must have been a lot of fun to watch obviously we saw Jalen Hurts and the Eagles do what Jalen Hurts and the Eagles all, always seem to do uh, AJ Brown with another magnificent performance I think that he was very clearly the best player on either team in this game offensively he was Unbelievable! He saw fifteen targets. RK, like you don't you don't see a receiver with fifteen targets unless he's really cooking, and he was really cooking. Obviously, too. We saw a very strong defensive performance. I would say out of the Eagles, they really got to the quarterback. I, I'm not sure the exact sack number. I don't have those uh those statistics, but I would say they got at least four sacks in the game. Um, which fe- feels like a really really good um a, a strong way to play against the Miami Dolphins. You kind of got to get in the backfield and and rattle Tua a little bit. Uh, Tua had one of his less less good games this season maybe his worst game of the year uh so far against this very very strong Eagles defense and we did see the Eagles make another uh trade they have made a trade as they do every year uh fleecing the Tennessee Titans which has become a a normal uh every every year occurrence at this point but uh just talking about this game 31-17 Eagles victory uh, how are you feeling about this victory
1: yeah, it was a ton of fun. You did say I, I had the uh, the privilege, the pleasure uh, of being in attendance for this game, the Kelly Green jersey game uh, for the Eagles. They did a great job with all their branding and everything. Uh, made it a lot of fun as a fan. I uh, got to go to this game with uh, fellow friend Josh at I Hate Lettuce 2, regular question asker. So it uh, was, uh, was a lot of fun to spend the day with him uh, in Philly. Got some cheesesteaks, hit the casino before the game, got into the link uh, and got to enjoy a, a really, really good football game as well. As for what we saw on the field. Uh, you said a, a good breakdown of what we saw. A.J. Brown obviously uh yet another game with over 125 yards has now tied an NFL record uh, for six consecutive games at over 125 uh, and had a big touchdown uh, in this game for the Eagles as well. You know, really showing off his ability after the catch uh, at, at full display um, for the Eagles. So that was really good. Uh, the D-line, you mentioned it. They had three sacks in this game. Uh, two of them for Josh Sweat. It um, was nice to see him get involved. They did have Jalen Carter come back from injury they had Lane Johnson come back from injury. So some big help for the Eagles on the trenches. I think that was definitely a big factor uh, compared to what we saw, uh, you know, the previous week in which was kind of a tough loss uh, to the New York Jets. So it definitely got a little bit of lucky uh, at times in this game. Tyree kill you know did have uh you know a productive day also had kind of 15 targets funny enough matching uh, aj brown i mean it seems like these are two of the top receivers uh you know that are doing it right now at this point in time uh, uh right now in the nfl but uh tyree kill had kind of a uh, funny play looked like he was going to score a touchdown ended up dropping the ball we thought it might have been a fumble it goes out of bounds ends up just being an incomplete pass but um really kind of changed a little bit of the momentum in this game in my opinion um because the eagles know that their dbs are, are not necessarily the fastest so covering tyree kill is going to be a problem did have one touchdown right before halftime but uh overall did enough to get a win against a quality team in the miami dolphins uh and you know now the eagles sit as the only one loss team in the nfc so um a lot to like from uh from a philadelphia eagles standpoint ton of fun to be at this game uh in person uh as well uh for the kelly green return
0: yeah, and I do think the Eagles are going to have a couple easy matchups, but we will. I'm really excited, RK, for the post buy, like the three or four weeks after the bye where we talk about the Eagles, because those games are going to be just magnificent to watch. I feel yeah. like I think it's Can- Kansas City, uh San Francisco. Dallas and Buffalo,
1: maybe the four teams there? Dallas has a couple in there, and Seattle as well is uh, definitely a a good good caliber team that the Eagles have struggled with in the past, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to get hot. Obviously, other teams are looking at the Eagles and and circling that themselves, so um, the Eagles are going to need to continue to uh, play well. You mentioned it, Kevin Bayard. I thought that was a good trade um, to add him from Tennessee uh, in exchange for Terrell Edmonds and some late picks, so um, definitely like what I'm seeing. Howie Roseman staying, uh, staying active. They signed Julio Jones as well before this game, so so got to see the Julio Jones debut game at one catch. So uh, kind of funny footnote uh, in, in the middle of all this too. But I uh, definitely like what I'm seeing from the birds. Jalen Hurts got to keep him healthy. He was banged up a little bit in this game, but uh big picture thinking can't be too concerned about him. Uh, we know about his, uh, his qualities uh, as a quarterback. So a lot to like for the birds. Absolutely. We will have some fun
0: Eagles talk moving forward. We can talk about the giants really quickly. 14, uh, seven win in a very uneventful offensive game. Uh obviously the Giants had Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. Had a decent game. Pretty productive, I would say, uh given the circumstances. But I think we can we can say it. Uh the Washington Commanders are a very bad football team. They are a very, very mediocre. Um, there's not many units on this team that you would say, yeah, this is this is really great. This is exactly what we're looking for. Cause in reality it's it's not at all what we're looking for out of a, a football team. The Washington Commanders are clearly the worst team in this division. But uh, we saw one of the Giants, obviously, Saquon Barkley, touched the ball quite a lot, um, as you would expect, kind of getting his uh, his touches up after the injury. Uh, we saw Jalen Hyatt with a, a long – it was a really weird – just like the usage of Jalen Hyatt is it's big play or bust, which is just so strange to me how that's the reality of the situation here. Um but in general, obviously Darren Waller, a big, big week for the Giants for the first time ever, it feels like. Seven ninety eight in touchdown. Uh Giants win, we'll take it. Not super confident about the Giants long term. I'm thinking it's pretty uh it's pretty bleak this season, but you'll take a win. Uh anything to put on the Giants before we move on here?
1: Yeah, only things I would mention, uh, nice to have Saquon Barkley back. Obviously, he was really involved in this game, had a receiving touchdown and uh, a handful of carries, uh, 21 carries. Uh, so they were definitely feeding him in this game. And also want to give a shout-out to the Giants' D-line, six sacks in this game, a couple for Dexter Lawrence, uh, probably their top defensive player, maybe top player on the entire team, if we're really being honest. So um, definitely some things to point out with the Giants to like. Obviously, the offense overall, uh, a concern. They've only scored 85 points this entire season. Uh, through seven games uh, it's not a thought so uh, maybe maybe need to wake up a little bit offensively Brian Dable uh, you know that's 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 what you do you're you were an offensive guy coming in so obviously they've dealt with a little adversity with uh, Daniel Jones injury and, and Saquon's of the past but um, yeah good gonna need uh, to figure out that thing but uh, defensively it was nice to see them get a, a handful of sacks and, and a couple for their top guy Dexter Lawrence
0: Yeah, we'll definitely take it, obviously, you know, take wins how they can come. The Giants' schedule moving forward is not super difficult for the next couple weeks, so maybe we see them win a couple games. Uh, Maybe we see them lose every game, really, just at this point. I don't really have any—the hopes are low, RK. The hopes are very low, but we did have some wins uh, across the league that were a little bit uh, surprising that might give me some hope moving forward, including, I would say— um, you talked about it before the Eagles being the only one lost team. We saw the Vikings beat the 49ers in a very, very strange uh performance. Obviously, Brock Purdy not his best, and then it turns out that he's actually concussed. He got concussion symptoms on the plane back home. Um, so not ideal there. Uh really, really weird to see the Minnesota Vikings win. Jordan Addison, um, very clearly just dominant receiver at this point as a rookie, somebody who I think came in and has played even better than maybe a lot of people would have anticipated, uh, ended up with a, a crazy wild performance, 7-1, 2 TDs there. And we also saw the Patriots knock off the Bills. I think this is less surprising than the 49ers losing to the Vikings because the Bills have been a little bit of a disaster the last couple weeks. We saw them struggle with Jacksonville. We saw them really struggle against the Giants, only a 14-9 victory, and then a 29-25 win for the Patriots, giving Bill Belichick his 300th career win, which is just crazy numbers we're talking here. But uh, just in general, out of a, a big Patriots big Vikings win anything really surprising to you there or is it kind of just like football everybody can win every week it's kind of just how it
1: is Yeah, it it definitely is a big part of that. I mean, obviously division games, you're always kind of like, Oh, it's a little weird Patriots bills. You know, these teams play each other a lot, obviously. Um, surprisingly Mac Jones was good in this game. I feel like he's kind of just a strange quarterback. Uh, you don't know if he's going to, you know, throw two picks and complete 50% of his passes or this game where he completes 83% of his passes, two touchdowns, only one sack. So, uh, you know, I guess he's just saving it for times when he's ready. I guess the bills, I don't know how to explain it. Really. Patriots are, are definitely a strange team. Uh, You know, the Bills at four and three, um, definitely a little surprising. uh, You know, I think I would have to acknowledge that. And then you said it with the Niners, um, you know, a little surprising to see them lose. Kirk Cousins, you know, he played outstanding in this game on Monday Night Football. So uh, that's obviously a a noteworthy thing that occurred uh, in this game for sure. Uh, You mentioned the Brock Purdy thing. In the back of my head, I'm still thinking that Sam Darnold is still the best quarterback on this team. And if, you know, Brock Purdy misses some time, uh, I definitely could forecast a situation where Sam Darnold, you know, kind of takes the reins and, and, you know, makes the Niners is even more of a threat uh, than what I've seen him with Brock Purdy. Cause um, you know, yeah, for sure. I can acknowledge that he's performed good at times, but I think these last two games, and especially with how this one finished, you know, a couple of picks um, to combine them, you know, late in the fourth quarter, um, you know, kind of crushing any comeback attempt for the Niners, you know, that they have the weapons out there, um, even without Debo Samuel, without McCaffrey's going right now. And George Kittle was really involved in the offense in this game. So Niners still a really good team, uh, you know, and, and maybe just some, uh, some potential, no, note- Worthy things if uh, if sam darnold has to take over i think that could actually work out favorably for the niners long term
0: yeah it would be very fascinating to see sam darnold go out there and dominate and then have him bench for brock purdy the next week or something like that it would be a really so it would be a real conundrum to, uh, to me at least i'd be i'd be very flabbergasted to see how that comes but i mean yeah sam darnold this is the best offense he'll ever play for uh, the best situation he'll ever I have a, a really really strong just even without Debo Samuel, we're still talking about, okay, like he's going to go out there with, with Christian McCaffrey, who just set a record for most games in a row with a, with a t- rushing touch or a scrimmage touchdown, pardon. Um, really, really fascinating there. But we do see a uh, 49ers versus the Bengals is going to be a hell of a matchup Sunday. Uh, should be, should be kind of fun with Sam Darnold there. So an exciting reality there. Um, football, 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 lots of it in the NFL. We also have a really, really packed, college football schedule from last week to talk about uh, RK. I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we can always talk about Miami. We can always talk about everybody else, but really we had some, we had some actual doozy matchups this week for once. Um, and, and I guess, uh, we'll talk about Miami real quick. Miami beat Clemson, double overtime victory. Shouldn't have got to that point. Miami was the better team in this game. I will be very, very clear in this one to say, um, even with Tyler Van Dyke injured, missing the game, um, they were they were better. Emory Williams came in, played a decent game, um, really not super productive, but, you know, backup quarterback, what are you expecting out of a backup quarterback in college football? They, if they come out there and beat Clemson, you're saying, okay, great, fantastic. Uh, obviously, Miami's defense was very, very good. Yet again, it's been very, very good for for a large portion of the season, which is nice. Obviously, some uh, downsides to that, but uh, uh, Miami went over Clemson after after two really bad weeks. There's a there's a reality here, RK, where Miami could very well be either six and one or seven and zero at this point in the season. Uh, we're instead we're looking at five and two, not as exciting, but um, the stock is up in the Miami football program. Is that is that real? Is that is that a reality?
1: Yeah, I mean, it uh, It definitely appears that way, you know, even in a year where Clemson uh, has struggled a little bit, already their third loss of the year. It's, uh, it's nice to get that done after losing a couple of games back-to-back with Georgia Tech and, and North Carolina, uh, a tough one on the road last week. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you still have a game at Florida State uh, on your schedule, which, uh, you know, we'll talk about them in a minute. They're still looking really good. I'm sure Miami is definitely circling that game as, um, you know, a potential, you know, big-time upset um, that they would be able to pull off uh, if they can continue to keep this thing going.
0: Yeah, really really nice there. Obviously, RK, we can talk about Iowa very very briefly here. Um it's it wasn't good. Um a 12-10 loss to a very e- equally as mediocre Minnesota football team, maybe more mediocre than Iowa's football team football team, but uh any anything from this at all?
1: Yeah, this was bad Uh, They, you know, should have won this game Because uh, Cooper DeGene pulled another Cooper DeGene And tried to uh, pull a a rabbit out of his hat With a punt return touchdown uh, In the final, you know, two minutes of this game And that was wiped off uh, Because they thought he was making a fair catch He was really just pointing at the ball Uh, You know, it is what it is It's kind of a tough call I can understand why they overturned it But uh, just the emotional swing of uh, Iowa Pulling another classic Iowa, you know, win And specifically Cooper DeGene doing it yet again it was tough uh, for him to have that kind of ripped away from him uh, against a team that Iowa historically has kind of dominated. They really haven't had too many problems with Minnesota. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know what you're going to get? You know, there was 22 points scored total in this game. It's a classic Iowa football game uh, in the Big Ten. I mean, they even rushed for just 11 yards as a team. I mean, it was ugly uh, at Kinnick Stadium and uh, and a tough finish, uh, as mentioned, with what happened with, uh, with the overturned uh, punt return touchdown. So, uh, tough one. For the Hawkeyes, um, but nevertheless, they still sit at six and two. They have an opportunity to win the Big Ten West uh, if they can continue to keep a couple wins going on. Their schedule is not too hard: Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, Nebraska. You know, we're not talking about top teams in college football that are remaining for the Hawkeyes. So uh, maybe still uh, some potential for them to salvage something, uh, even if it means them getting stomped in the Big Ten title game against a Michigan or Ohio State, um, which could definitely be on the horizon. But uh, yeah, that's what's going on with the Hawkeyes uh, at the moment.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, they were they had the over-under set at 30 and a half points, which was a, a historic low yeah. uh, in the last 20 years, and they still managed to be didn't even come a close. touchdown. They were <laughs> they were a touchdown plus away from that 30 and a half mark, so uh, really impressive. But RK, we can talk about college football that did matter this week, uh, starting off with a couple of ranked matchups. Obviously, in the morning on Saturday, we had two strong matchups. We'll start off, I guess, with Penn State-Ohio State because that was very clearly the matchup of the week coming in, and the game stunk for them for a large portion of it i would say a very very underwhelming performance from both offenses um maybe sort of what you would kind of expect the quarterback situation in penn state and in with ohio state not the greatest on either side kyle mccord kind of getting his his stuff together a little bit but um, drew out a horrible horrible passing game out of penn state which was something i wouldn't have anticipated coming in and i would have thought that this would be a little bit more of an offensive game i think we were set up um we we were sold something that wasn't real. Uh, twenty to twelve victory. Ohio State beats Penn State. Kind of just what you would expect, maybe, out of this. Penn State drops in the rankings. Ohio State stays in the top four. Should stay in the top four. Um, barring any unforeseen losses, and uh, we're we're set up RK four uh, as we talked about last week. We're set up for some fun matchups between uh, Ohio State and Michigan. End of the end of the season last week. Of the season should be really good. But uh, any takeaways from this twenty to twelve Ohio State victory?
1: Yeah, takeaway has to be Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, arguably the best player in college football right now. I think Caleb Williams is just about the only other guy you could consider for that feat. 11 catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown for Marvin Harrison Jr. in this one. I mean, he just continues to put on full display how he is such a complete receiver. You know, definitely has the potential to enter the NFL as the best receiver prospect we've seen since Calvin Johnson. Could we even go further back than that? Uh, I mean, this guy is as good as they come. And uh, we even saw him do it in some different ways. We know about his big playability down the field, but uh, even showed off some catch and run in this game uh, on some short drag routes that he was able to turn into some bigger gainers that I thought was encouraging uh, from an Ohio State standpoint. But like you said, kind of an ugly game overall. Uh, It was kind of more Big Ten-y than a uh, top seven matchup, uh, you would so think. But uh, nevertheless, big takeaway has to be the star receiver for Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr., yet again, putting on another big time game.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree there. Obviously, nobody even came close to matching that energy throughout the entire game on either side of the ball, either team. So um, a very impressive game from him. But yeah, Ohio State win, kind of what you would have expected. I believe they were favored by about a touchdown coming in. Um, what I wouldn't have anticipated, RK, is uh, the Tennessee-Alabama game. Tennessee leads twenty to a half, doesn't score again after halftime. A really, really strange like Tale of two games within one game. Tale of two halves type deal. Obviously, Tennessee came out very strong. Squirrel White looked really, really good. He was making big play after big play after big play. I kind of died down in the second half. We also saw Alabama's offense wake up in the second half, as mentioned before. Uh, out of nowhere, we're seeing Jalen Milrose making plays. Jace McClellan was very, very really good. Touch the ball a billion times in this game, um, maybe just due to the lack of quarterback ability there uh, from Bama. But an Alabama victory, 34-20, a little bit of a revenge, a revenge victory. You know, obviously you lose one one in every 20 games to. To Tennessee if you're Alabama you're sitting like oh this is crappy but a very big and necessary victory for them to stay in the potential college football playoff race I think they're still on the outside looking in uh, but you know it went out and you're probably in the playoffs if you're Alabama Uh, just in general uh, sort of kind of how it was expected uh, scoreline but not how the game was expected to play out maybe I would say
1: yeah, I think that's uh, that's fair overall. Got to give a shout out to Jace McClellan in this one, senior running back uh, for Alabama. You know, 115 yards on the ground, had a touchdown as well. Um, not as much of a pass catcher. You know, thinking back last year when they had Jameer Gibbs, I think you're d- getting a different kind of player in Jace McClellan. Uh, definitely going to be interested to see where his draft status kind of lies. Uh, but he's been really consistently good this year, and two of his best games he's had uh, has been against, you know, quality competition with Tennessee. And, and looking back to last month against Ole Miss, uh, broke 100 yards, in that one too so uh kind of making the most of the opportunity not as consistent of a uh, pass game this year for alabama i know Milroe is uh back to throwing the passes and and whatnot for the crimson tide at this point but um i think jace mcclellan really was kind of a driving force in in the success for alabama here and i'll give one more shout out to isaiah bond alabama receiver uh just kind of a good name just anytime a guy's name is bond and he's out there and he's making plays you're just like oh that guy's james bond that's pretty cool but uh he had some big plays in this one had a touchdown uh, as well he's kind of popped up uh and caught my eye sometimes uh for for the crimson tide jermaine burton as well so some intriguing receivers definitely not the receiver core of uh of yesteryear when they had Devonte smith and jerry judy and henry ruggs and jalen waddle all running around but um definitely some quality nfl players as we've come uh, so prone to get used to uh with the crimson tide so uh some definitely uh a, a good win a not too surprising win uh back on uh, on home territory for alabama and uh, i don't want to call them kind of under the radar or sleeping but alabama you know getting Back into the top ten, you know they're going to get back into that kind of national conversation here pretty quick.
0: Yeah, and they do have a couple decent games throughout the season to kind of sort of solidify their potential college football playoff matchup uh, end of the year. They still got LSU, Kentucky, and Auburn on the schedule, um, so games they will be called. I don't even know if you call them trap games at this point, but there's always potential for one of those teams. Especially, I would say LSU is always a always a scary matchup um, no for doubt. Alabama. We'll see them Week Ten, November Fourth should be a lot of fun there. Um, I don't want to see Alabama in the college football playoff this year, RK. I'm really rooting for a loss at any point or just them not. I, I don't. I don't need it this year. College football is good enough without Alabama being in it. Um, I'm fine with that. Uh, just in general, RK. Let's talk about the ACC real quick. We saw North Carolina, after beating Miami last week, goes down to a very, very mediocre Virginia team um, with losses to James Madison. Pardon James Madison. Obviously, they're 7-0, and right, 25th right now, so shout out to James Madison for having a great football year, but Virginia should probably never lose to a James Madison or a Boston College, for that matter. Um, only victories for Virginia now. Uh, William and Mary, they won 27-13, and they beat North Carolina in
1: North Carolina at... Can you even how do you even explain this? How do you even what's the word on this? I think surprising is probably the word. I mean, Drake May even was uh, was relatively decent statistically wise in this game. Did have an interception, but um, you know, over 300 yards, couple touchdowns um, for uh, for the North Carolina quarterback and, and top quarterback prospect outside of Caleb Williams in this year's draft. But definitely a surprising loss. I think that's really kind of the big takeaway for me. Um, just didn't necessarily expect that. Um, you know, especially given the fact they had a fourth quarter lead uh, before Virginia scored uh, that go ahead touchdown that they didn't let up. So definitely a surprising outcome, especially given the fact this game was in Chapel Hill as well. Yeah, you know, that's
0: definitely a game that I would have said literally not a single chance in hell that they lose. Kind of sort of kills any momentum they had as a potential college football playoff team. it's really hard to leave out a team that goes potentially undefeated or, um, I mean, it doesn't seem like they would have much trouble against the Georgia Techs and Virginia's of the world, but there it is, a massive, massive loss for them. Kind of puts them on the outside looking in in the ACC. Um, On the inside looking out, uh, Florida State, another big victory for Florida State. Looks like a definitely legitimate football team. Um, not really much of a question here outside of a couple close victories, but a 38-20 win against Duke. Uh, Duke had a lot, a lot, a lot of hype coming in, uh, but they were there were some quarterback issues. Obviously, Riley Leonard was hurt uh, coming into this game and is hurt still. Uh, they ran the ball a lot, plenty of time, all game. Florida State didn't really care. All Florida State had to do was just put the ball in Jordan Travis' hands and good things happen over and over and over a 38-20 victory for fsu kind of expected uh, you, any any thoughts on this florida state legit
1: yeah I, I think that uh, you know I, I like what I'm seeing from Florida State you know legit in terms of their winning the national title I'm still not quite there just yet but I do definitely like what I'm seeing overall and I think the Jordan Jordan Travis Heisman campaign uh, definitely could continue to grow some steam uh, at this point in time you know a couple of names of, of people in that mix JJ McCarthy Michael Penix Jaden Daniels obviously Caleb Williams you know I, I think there's an opportunity for Jordan Travis to kind of establish himself in that mix uh, as well obviously you mentioned his ability running the ball and addition to his ability as a passer with some really good receivers on the outside with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. So Florida state, they've been a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I think that Jordan Travis could kind of continue to rise the ranks in the Heisman campaign uh, as much as anything else uh, was my takeaway for this one for another rank win for Florida state.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting observation as somebody who's followed along with the Heisman odds a little bit this year. At some point in the season, Jordan Travis was like plus four, plus 5,000. Now he's fourth, plus 1100. Michael Penix came into last week as the favorite, no longer the favorite. So it is, as you mentioned, a very fluid situation. Could be a lot of fun to watch there. I think that's a really, really good shout from you. Uh, You also brought up Caleb Williams. I guess we'll touch on USC real quick. Um. Probably not going to be a Caleb Williams year in the college football playoff. Maybe he's still a Heisman candidate, but a very very tough loss against Utah. Still missing Cam Rising doesn't matter to them. Uh, they go out another big victory for them. Uh, obviously at USC in California at the Coliseum. Really not ideal for USC's chances uh, to do anything this year. But uh, a big victory for Utah. Obviously we saw Bryson Barnes come out and kind of show out in a in his um, in his role that he's kind of been. Bryson Barnes has been kind of good this year. Like he's it's been kind of impressive to watch Utah go out there, uh struggling without their quarterback. Not at all, really. Offensively, really, really good. Handed the ball off quite a lot, quite a lot. Uh, I wasn't super familiar with Jaquinden Jackson coming into the game, but he he gained yards every time he touched the ball. It felt like that was like kind of just like a uh oh, he's going to get you a couple yards. He's going to make it second and manageable or third and even more manageable, um, which is really what you're looking for when you have your backup quarterback in the game. An impressive performance from them. Uh, Utah 34-32 victory. I'm not going to call Utah a a pack stunner. I don't think they're going to be doing anything here. But a win over USC, again, it's pretty impressive to see Utah do what they do.
1: Yeah, no doubt, really just consistently getting things done. And you figure they had a really, really tough schedule and still have some tough games coming up. But you think back to their non-conference, Florida and Baylor, even in-conference, UCLA and USC now with wins. They have the one loss at Oregon State, um, which is definitely one they obviously want to have back. But still with some big-time games against Oregon and Washington coming up, you know, two top-ten teams. So uh, Utah very much in that mix, but um, they're going to need to continue to prove it. But this was a big-time one, a last-second field goal on the road hostile environment against Caleb Williams uh, and they were able to get it done so uh, really impressive win uh, for Utah here and for USC I mean yeah Caleb Williams he could have played better in this game didn't have a passing touchdown did have one on the ground um, but I think it's really the USC defense that has really kind of struggled they just gave up 48 to Notre Dame last week uh, and obviously here against Utah again you know giving up 34 points um, you know it hasn't been the greatest performance from USC defensively and it's a little surprising considering uh, that Lincoln Riley has his guy Alex Grinch as the defensive coordinator he- brought with him from Oklahoma. So uh, maybe that's an area that, um, you know, is a red flag for USC football right now, because uh, we know the fireworks they can, you know, put out there on offense, but uh, defensively, it hasn't been up to par. And uh, for that reason, even, you know, with some big games for them with Washington and Oregon still on their schedule too, uh, you know, they're pretty much out of things in terms of the college football playoffs. So uh, tough to see that for Caleb Williams. uh, And, you know, obviously you want to see the star quarterbacks be in that mix, be in those big time games, see how they respond in a college football playoff scenario something we saw from cj stroud and bryce young for example looking back to the class a year ago not going to get that opportunity for caleb williams unfortunately but um nevertheless uh you know a, a really really impressive win for utah uh who continues to you know put together strong seasons year after year yeah it is
0: impressive to see what they do it doesn't matter who the quarterback is they still end
1: up winning games
0: utah um i'm not gonna i'm probably not gonna win out uh, if they did win out, it would be really interesting to see what the the scenario was at the end of the season. Given yeah. uh the the pedigree of victories would be nearly as good or better than anybody in college football. Obviously, that is um that is a very early thought. Given the fact that those matchups are not going to be easy wins at all. But um, so a uh, shout out to Eric Jensen. Obviously, this is the only time you'll ever get us talking good about Utah football. So, uh, congratulations to you. On to RK. That the time of the week, the most exciting part of the podcast are questions. Uh, we have quite a few questions from uh, the usual askers, starting off with my friend Connor, a friend of the podcast now. Uh, he wants to talk baseball, desperately, desperately wants to talk baseball. We had a conversation a little bit uh, last night off the podcast, but he wants to hear our thoughts. Um, how do we feel about how the MLB playoffs are set up, watching the 84 win Diamondbacks make it to the World Series? RK, I'll kick this over to you. Any thoughts?
1: yeah no doubt it's a really good point and i want to first preface this by saying it's a reactionary thought if the braves and the dodgers uh and the astros were still playing baseball at this point in time or making it all the way to the championship series we probably wouldn't be having this discussion so just putting that out there forefront but nevertheless that's not what happened so as a result is it fair to question the mlb playoffs which i think specifically where connor's kind of going here is we're looking at a system now where the wild card round it's a best of three which means that the teams who are number one or number two uh in your league you're sitting for about a week, which you guys haven't sat for about a week since pitchers and catchers reported for spring training. So it's been obviously a long time uh, before, you know, baseball is going where you're supposed to be playing your best ball, obviously. So uh, given the fact that we've seen these teams that have kind of snuck into the playoffs or, um, you know, just found ways to win in the wildcard round, continue to pick up that steam and get wins in the division series and in the uh, championship series of their own leagues uh, as well. It is definitely fair uh, to say, you know, is it almost too much time off uh, for teams that, you know, end up winning uh, their league in, uh, in the regular season, You know, how much importance is it uh, you know, over a 162-game season to win it uh, when we're seeing teams that just kind of snuck in an 84-win team uh, like the Diamondbacks make it all the way to the World Series. Do I think, you know, next year we need to make this change? I don't think I'm at that point just yet, uh, but I think it is a very fair very, very point. You know, I think that teams are definitely coming in and, uh, you know, early on in, in game situations, uh, and they're like, wow, we haven't played in a little bit. These other teams, they're, you know, have been kind of going at it, and yeah, you can kind of point and say, oh, well, your pitchers are more well-rested, um, but at the same time, maybe that means your bats are, are a little bit slower too. So, um, I think I don't have, you know, I think when the MLB kind of came out with this, I was excited about it. I was like, oh, yeah, best of threes. I think it'll be fun to watch as a fan. Um, uh, but I think those teams that, you know, obviously are in it, uh, and they're the one or the two seeds, uh, they may have more of a gripe and saying, hey, we almost have too much time off. Uh, maybe we could give teams that are playing in the wild card rounds less rest, uh, and, you know, be doing those kind of next game situations. It makes things tough logistically, but, uh, I think that may be kind of a, a happy medium, a counter, uh, uh, and saying, yeah, we're gonna start, uh, you know, the wild card round on that Monday right after the season ends, and, and we're gonna only, uh, you know, we'll get going in the division series on the Thursday, for example. So it's only kind of more of like an all star break type format. That's really the only kind of logistical change that I could see uh, uh, this coming about. I don't think they would shrink the size of the playoff field or even go back to a one game playoff at this point in time. I think they would probably keep the best of three format they got in the wild card. But uh, it's a very very good discussion and, and very fair given how things have played out, really specifically over the last two years since we've seen it. Yeah, it is interesting. I did see somebody say that like 12 of 17 teams over
0: 500 made the playoffs this year. Uh, The five teams that missed the playoffs over 500 were like 82 win teams outside of the Seattle Mariners who had 88. Obviously we can talk about like teams like the Cubs who had 83 San Diego at 82. Like we're letting in a lot of teams that don't necessarily deserve it. Like, are, are we saying three wins more than than being a 500 is worth not only a playoff berth but they made it to the World Series it's it's a little bit questionable it's definitely something to consider I do think you are spot on they're not changing they're not changing anything let's be honest here um the three wild card teams something that they're gonna keep money talks. Uh, adding in a couple more games into the year that people are all going to tune into as marquee matchups, not going to go anywhere, but definitely would agree with you. Uh, The the break was definitely a serious detriment to these teams. You could tell, um, not even as a Dodger fan, but the Braves, you could tell were definitely, uh, they struggled uh, quite heavily with that break. And I mean, you can play as many scrimmage games as you want. You can play as many intra-squad games as you want, but that there's nothing like playing real meaningful baseball games so uh, i i think you're pretty much spot on on that and it is just like it, it it's definitely a recency bias thing rk it's definitely something mm-hmm. that i'm going to be mad at it's definitely something that people are going to be mad at but uh, the recency bias part of it really does it it plays it plays for sure it's it's a it's a super super important part of this whole situation
1: yeah, and I think because it's so new, like it's not like we've seen this for 10 years and this is the first time that, uh, you know, we've seen upsets in, in playoff baseball. Um, you know, they just implemented this uh, best of three wild card, And, you know, so far those teams have, have been able to carry it for some, you know, success deeper into the playoffs than I guess we were expecting.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree on that. It is, um, it will be something to monitor next couple of years. If this happens year after year after year, it's definitely not going to stay that way because I don't think the MLB is going to want to push in uh, the 84 win a uh, hundred ten million dollar salary payroll uh, teams. I don't think that, that would ever, ever really happen. I'm kind of just like, I'm a little bit flabbergasted by the whole situation there. But uh, we, we can we can move on from that. Obviously, uh, we have a question from your dad. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it this week. I've decided I'm gonna take over. I'm taking the reins here. He's asking who our favorite MLB pitcher in the playoffs in our lifetime is. Obviously, RK. Okay, we could go back to the past and find these guys with ridiculous numbers uh, before we were alive. But uh, I'd say post-2000s, favorite MLB pitcher in the playoffs, who you got? Who is it?
1: Yeah, no doubt. I had one come to mind. You know, my biased Cubs answer would be John Lester from what he did in in 2016. Uh, You know, forever will go down as one of the best free agent signings in Chicago sports history. So a lot of love for John Lester. But that's actually not going to be my answer for this one my answer without a doubt it has to be Madison Bumgarner for his performance that he had really specifically against the Kansas City Royals in the World Series uh, in in 2014 I mean Madison Bumgarner it just felt like this guy was unhittable uh, and it was so so fun to watch uh, when the San Francisco Giants were kind of in their heyday winning championships but uh, I don't know if I can remember a more dominant you know performance uh, from a pitcher in the playoffs than what we saw from Madison Bumgarner you know at this point it's been a handful of years but uh, I still definitely remember it uh, he was absolutely lights out uh and i would have to say madison bumgarner for me on this one yeah i think
0: that's a fair answer obviously as a dodgers fan i'm not picking any of the giants (laughs) but they had whether it was him uh, Matt Kane had some really really strong playoff performances. Tim Lincecum, I'm, I'm surely had some elite playoff performances in there. So uh, some definitely good answers there. I'm gonna be biased. I'm taking Walker Bueller from what I've seen the last couple of years. Obviously in the 2020 World Series run, he gave up five runs in five starts. That's that's freaking incredible. Uh, come playoff time, uh, he was very dominant against Boston in the 2018 World Series. A two hitter in seven innings pitch against Boston. Point uh, seven one ERA versus Washington 2019. Um, he's a sub three ERA pitcher. In his 15 postseason starts, uh, it's definitely been fun watching him. Obviously, people talk about playoff Kershaw, but playoff Bueller is like the opposite of playoff Kershaw. It's lockdown, dynamite, electric uh, performance. I did, however, want to give an honorable mention to Mariano Rivera. Obviously, he is probably the best postseason pitcher ever in history. I, I don't think there's like even questionable. He's got a .7 playoff ERA. He's got all the rings to do it. He's the scariest playoff pitcher coming on the ninth inning ever there's not somebody that you would want to face less than mariano rivera and i think that fits pretty well with like the early our early era of baseball fandom um like the 2000s kind of just like uh, that's what we grew up on obviously mariano rivera as elite as they come um we couldn't we couldn't go throughout this without mentioning mariano rivera right like it had to be
1: yeah and I think that is such a great answer that like we remember so specifically the times where Mariano Rivera blew it like there was literally a documentary about the 04 Red Sox <laughs> because it was like whoa like did we actually like got a run off this guy like no way and like the the game winner the Arizona Diamondbacks that had in 2001 uh their walk off against Mariano Rivera you know one of the most iconic plays uh in major league baseball history it's like we just took this guy for granted as like oh yeah he's gonna mow down his cutter and strike out three guys and the Yankees are gonna win the game. And that's going to be that, uh, that the times in which it didn't happen, we're like, yo guys, are you seeing this too? Like this, we're actually hitting off Mario Rivera. We can't believe it. Uh, that's how dominant he was that uh, we so vividly remember the times where he blew it. Cause it was so infrequent uh, because of how dominant he was uh, for the Yankees. Yeah, I
0: mean, obviously, nobody wants to talk up the Yankees. Nobody ever wants to say anything nice about the Yankees. But Mariano Rivera, good guy, great pitcher, uh, all you can ask for, really. Uh, we have a couple other questions. I'll leave the last question to your family, but I'm going to take Jason's questions, uh, asked every week. We have a follow-up on something that was asked many, many, many weeks ago, RK. I- I'm going to look back, back in April. Just- Back in April, uh, I can't confirm. Back in April, uh, so back in April, we had a story about a group of four stealing two hundred, ended up being two hundred thirty thousand dollars worth of dimes from a cargo truck that was left in uh, Philadelphia. Just they used they used crowbars and stuff to get the dimes. Ended up two hundred thousand. Uh, we have an update on that story. It is now October twenty fifth. This story came out yesterday. Yesterday for the podcast, uh, these people were caught after stealing not only two million dimes, but six refrigerators, 60 cases of Jose Cuervo tequila, among other things. Uh, They were finally caught uh, because they, among other things, post on social media, flexing a Dodge Ram truck that had been purchased by uh, one of these four people with the change that they received from stealing the dimes. Um, Apparently phone records, messages, uh, there's even more, there's multiple receipts from them going to a Coinstar machine and just dumping dimes in the Coinstar machine and leaving with the receipt. Uh, it's really, really spectacular, but we can't confirm RK in the Walmart parking lot. The dimes that were found there, it was not for naught. These men have finally been caught. They tried their best to get away from it. Um, it just, you know, they got in trouble trying to cash them in in coinstars Really, really stupid. No surprising there, not surprising there. Um, Ark, any thoughts on this finally coming? We we figured it out. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, we finally figured it out. I, the funny part for me is they also, yeah, it was like a part of like a bigger heist. Like you said, like they're stealing like Jose Cuervo. Frozen crab legs also made the cut here. And it's like they're they're taking notes out of Jameis Winston. But at the same time, like it was more sophisticated than that. Like they were like plotting this out and like trying to find ways to just steal whatever they could out of these tractors. Like Jameis Winston just walked out of Publix with crab legs. Like it was not that sophisticated. And these guys are putting on these major heists and uh and you know getting all these robberies in so like i feel like this needs to be like a movie like we need like a full documentary on netflix in like three years to come out and there'll be like just a, an overall oral history of Raheem savage and ronald burns and these guys that did this like we we need more info on like how they did it like this this is such an intriguing story for me like these feel like guys like they'll show up on like the practice squad for the eagles at like cornerback one day and it's like oh who, who is this guy malik palmer like oh they just called him up from the practice squad yeah he just got out of jail for conspiracy and heists for stealing dimes like this is what this sounds like to me like i can't believe this is like actually real like you, you could have told me this this article was off the onion and i would have been like okay yeah that probably makes a lot of sense but no like they they were putting in work like this was not just a one-off it was not just the dimes they were they were putting on these heists uh left and right and uh and finally they've been they've been caught by the philadelphia police uh finally uh finally getting it done
0: yeah, surely we will have more information on this when they go to court. Um, I can't wait to see the 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 proceedings there. Obviously, it's gonna be. I'm sure the text messages are very damning if they got caught because they were texting each other about their their heists. You know, really just burner phones, burner phones. Something that you know we learned through GTA and stuff. Like <laughs> real life, some, somebody's gotta go get a Cricket phone, prepay it. Like, don't don't. That's a bad idea. You really you really messed up with the dimes, guys. Really bad. Um. RK, we got two more questions, both of them from your family members. I'll let you take it from here.
1: Yeah, we got another question from from Jason, my uncle, on this one, uh, in addition to the Dimes follow-up. He says, our neighbors, they chose to take a driverless Uber around town, and he wants to know, under what circumstances would we choose to climb in the back of a driverless Uber? Donnie, give me your your confidence level on a driverless Uber. Are you doing it?
0: very low when it comes to driving on the highway or anything over like maybe 40 miles per hour. I would say I have no research. I know nothing about the the subject, but all I know is I would be, I would be scared shitless to take this on anything more than like a side street or anything more than like, you know, a, a couple miles, maybe driving down a one main road. Like it just, I'm a big tech guy, love technology, but driverless cars is not something that I have been able to get behind yet. Uh, are, are you different, RK? Are you feeling better about the driverless cars than I am?
1: I think I'm a little bit more open-minded than you are on this Okay, genre. I feel like this is something. It's coming. Okay, you can deny it. You can be like, oh, no, we're going to have drivers forever. But no, I think driverless uh, vehicles, I think it's coming. Obviously, you know, Tesla, they're they're making it known out there. It could be done. Uh, but I, I'm a little bit more optimistic. You know, I don't think I'm immediately hopping into driverless Uber and like, bang, like we're hitting people left and right. Like we're going bumper cars mode out there on the interstate. You know, I, I think it could be done. So I, I, I think that, like I said, I feel like this is coming, you know, next 10, 15, 20, 30 years in our lifetimes, Donnie, like this is going to be this is going to be a thing. So so I, I'm OK being an early adopter. Now, does this mean I'm, I'm booking driverless Ubers now, today, left and right? No, but I would consider it if uh, if the if the circus circumstances did dictate that it was needed, uh, I could be talked into it. I'm, I'm open, more open minded than you are.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm not necessarily sure that the tech is 100 percent safe and sound and solid and secure at this point. Uh, I would really need to look into it more, but I appreciate your open mindedness in the situation. I you're certainly not getting that out of me, probably. Uh, maybe maybe in like ten fifteen years, I'll give you that. It's coming, but like I'm not ready for it just yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, curious full question. Okay, we got one more. It's a good one too. It's really really actually kind of interesting. I had to do some serious research for this one.
1: Yeah, let's get into it. End of the podcast. Designated spot for my sister Kira and her boyfriend Phil back again with another hard hitting question for us, Donnie. We, we're, it's not quite tears, but we are diving into seasons here. So we got four different, uh, seasons obviously, and they want us to determine what is our favorite seasonal dessert for each season. We'll go, uh, we'll go, I guess, uh, I guess, chronological order, so to speak, uh, in, in, in that let's start with winter though, you know, January, I, th- I still think that's winter for sure. That's fair. So your favorite winter dessert, donnie what what do you got yeah i was thinking about this i'm not
0: the biggest like non-chocolate dessert guy but uh, i'm definitely gonna it's got to be a hot chocolate and it's got to be a chocolate lava cake or a brownie i would say would be the the, the perfect winter dessert it's got to be warm if you're having cold desserts don't really work when it's negative 10 15 out and all you want to do is go inside and, and drink a, a hot beverage uh, hot chocolate is is a guarantee for me it's it's the, it's a top tier S tier, uh winter dessert, I would say, but, um, uh, the chocolate lava cake, go to a restaurant, you can get it year round, but it just hits different when it's, when it's nice and cold outside, you know, I- I'm definitely taking that, not even a question, maybe the best of the, of the dessert seasons for me.
1: Yeah, I think those are those are all good answers. Hot chocolate after getting done shoveling snow, elite, like that really doesn't get much too much better than that. Lava cake as well, family favorite of ours, so so that's a that's a good answer. But even though I understand your philosophy in going with a hot dessert when the winter when the weather is cold, I would say my favorite winter dessert has got to be cheesecake. I'm a huge cheesecake fan. My aunt, she makes an unbelievable cheesecake. I just get fired up every year to have it. Usually it kind of brings out around like Thanksgiving time, and I think that of you know, I'll carry that over into winter as well. You know, uh, you know, a good like uh, Christmas toffee, you know, might make the cut, but I'm edging it out for cheesecake. Probably overall my my favorite dessert out there. Uh, So I'm going to I'm going to throw that in the winter category uh, for me there. Um, Let's keep rolling, though. Spring. This is an interesting one. We got like a philosophical discussion here as well. Like do spring desserts exist? Is it a thing? Uh, What do you guys Favorite spring dessert? If you had to pick one, Donnie.
0: Uh, you know, we definitely talked about this before the podcast for a couple of minutes. I don't There's a question here. Spring desserts maybe don't exist, but if I was picking anything, it would have to be like a berry or a fruit tart. Maybe uh, I was telling RK about how I had a very good berry tart in Shorewood, Wisconsin in the spring of 2019. Um, and it just, it's something that I remember still to this day, obviously Wisconsin known for, known for their fruit, obviously not, but, uh, I had a really nice berry tart. Um, when i was in wisconsin in the spring of 2019 and that's that's the only real answer i could come up with with like a spring specific dessert it feels like that's like the only real go-to i don't i got nothing on this honestly
1: yeah well that's a good answer you had clearly a vivid enough memory to remember like every vivid detail of what was going on there. it was good dude it. in wisconsin though nowhere else kira went to wisconsin went to uw so shout out uh, my answer here, I'm going with chocolate covered strawberry, kind of in the same philosophy as Donnie here on like the berry theme. You know, I, I don't think spring desserts get as much love nationally as the other seasons. If this is a national discussion, which I guess we're making it that right now. So I'm going with chocolate covered strawberry. I think that's a, uh, a solid choice uh, for springtime. Uh, so that brings us to the summer now, Donnie. It's hot outside. Baseball is being played, uh, not in, in postseason format. Uh, what do you got? What are you getting for dessert?
0: Oh, I mean, it's most definitely ice cream. I would say specifically like a a chocolate ish ice cream, maybe like a rocky road or something along those lines. Um, there's just there's something about having a nice cold ice cream cone or in a a baseball cap hat at a, at a baseball game. Obviously, the little plastic hats where they serve the, the ice cream in you can get it anywhere. Um, I cl- I think that's just like if there's no spring desserts, ice cream is most definitely a summer dessert, and and ice cream is just a classic. It's really hard to go away from
1: that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm going to I'm going to agree with ice cream and I'm going to say like Dove bars. Like my grandma back in the day would always have like those little like Dove like chocolate little bars uh on a little stick that you could have. Uh those were pretty good. So, uh I'll go with that. You know, not a huge dessert guy overall, you know. So, not even a huge ice cream guy overall. So, given that, you know, summer, I'll take a, a little ice cream uh, you know, uh, when when the time is right, uh, for sure on that one. Uh all right. So, we've reached last season we're in fall season now donny w- wrap us up with the uh your dessert choice uh for the fall
0: season yeah i think fall is probably my least uh the least exciting of my four picks but i'm going to go with like a classic pumpkin or apple pie uh it feels like something that you would have it like a, a pre thanksgiving uh get together or a thanksgiving Uh, dessert. Even if it is a little bit closer to winter time and a little bit further away from fall time, I think like the pumpkin wave, the pumpkin vibe in fall time is about as it's like taken over almost. It's been it's been a way of our our culture for the last decade or two. Obviously, pumpkin spice everything exists everywhere. So uh, I'll go with a pumpkin pie, um, specifically a a pumpkin pie with a little bit of chocolate, some chocolate chips in there could be very very good. Have had it many times in the past. Absolute gas. Um, so a pumpkin pie, a classic, maybe not the most exciting or either of our
1: favorite desserts, uh, normally, but throw a little bit of chocolate in it for me. I'm always in. That's a a good choice for you. Very, very seasonal of you on that one. I'm going to pick creme brulee it's pretty much my other like favorite dessert and like sure i'll have it in the fall it's not really as seasonal themed as as donnie gave an answer for but i don't really like pumpkin so sorry i'm not having it even if it's you know the trendy thing to do in the month of october i'm just gonna stick the regular creme brulee hero knows that big fan of creme brulee had to get creme brulee and cheesecake in there at some point so yeah i'll have it in the fall i don't mind i'll, I'll pick that as my my favorite seasonal dessert uh for when the leaves are starting to come down from the trees why not so there you go. Great question. Really gets our mind going. You know, I'm not the biggest dessert guy in the entire world. I'll I'll definitely admit that. But it uh it definitely gets the mind going on uh, on what you're picking, depending on what's going on on the outside. So definitely a, a good question from the duo, Kieran Phil, back again. Appreciate that one. Absolutely. Uh, and they did ask, do spring desserts exist?
0: I'm saying yes. Okay, just for the, for the record, I'm saying yeah. yes. Uh, they might not be the most fun or iconic. Of desserts, but I think a, a fruit, a, a fresh fruit related dessert in spring is a spring dessert. I'm calling that. I'm not getting enough fresh fruit. You're not getting fresh fruit in months when the fruit isn't fresh. So uh, I think spring would be a very, very good time for a, a fruit related dessert. That's just not just my thoughts. I could be wrong. Kira and Phil, please tell us if we're wrong. Not RK or myself's specialty. So we, we need your
1: help here. Yeah, the the fact that they had to ask us this question makes me think that they don't think that spring desserts exist. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's exactly that's what I'm thinking. Not, uh, not trying to do too much assumption here, but that's just my sense of the situation. Um, but nevertheless great question from Kira Phil I always appreciate their thoughts they always text me a little recap of their thoughts fill out the polls Mm -hmm. so uh, a great addition to the end of the podcast folks Uh, as much as you guys all out there we very much appreciate it you guys made it to the end of the podcast we really appreciate it here Uh, we we love chatting it up seeing what's going on in sports as we mentioned you know last podcast of October you know a little tear a little tear from us but we get to enjoy the World Series uh, and some football and some basketball and some hockey everything's going on right now it's a lot of fun and uh, we enjoyed talking with you guys and appreciate you guys for making roadie the horn part of your day today. And of the podcast, folks you guys are of course the best check West. He's coming on the podcast next episode, but that's all for me, Donnie. Anything else before we wrap up?
0: No, obviously RK said it best. We appreciate everybody who listens and we will talk to you again next week. Peace, everybody. Peace. Life
1: couldn't get better.